Hi, Pastor John here. Last week we heard the story of Jacob, who eventually inherits Abraham's and Isaac's promise and after striving with God, becomes Israel. This week we're going to go back to the middle of Jacob's story and hear about one of his wives, Leah, who seemed to be loved by, well, who seemed to be loved by nobody. Listen in as we find out that we will never be satisfied until we are satisfied with God and what he gives us. I'd like you to turn to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 29. Main passage is going to be verses 9 through 25, 35. But we're, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. So while you're turning there, in, in John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life, John says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And he uses this phrase to describe what he calls Christian hedonism. And it's the idea that we are completely satisfied in him. So satisfied in him that we never have to choose between our greatest joy and his greatest glory. They're one and the same. So that takes a, a shift in our thinking because a lot of times we think that God's glory is at odds with with the things that we desire, as we grow in our maturity, as we grow in our knowledge and awareness of who we are and who God is and what His character and nature is, we find out that His glory really is our fondest desire. It's what John's trying to say. So let me rephrase this for you in something that might be a little bit easier to digest. Until you are satisfied with God, you will not be satisfied at all. You will constantly be trying to satisfy yourself until you are satisfied with God. Now, we're in the middle of a series called Lessons for Today from the OT, and the idea being that the Old Testament reveals the character and nature of God to us, uh, leading all the way up to the advent of the Messiah, and that if we don't understand the Old Testament, we're really not going to have a grip on the character and nature of God, who He is and how He functions with His people. So today we're, we're looking at Leah. Now last week we, we heard the story of Jacob. We heard the whole story. How he was transformed into Israel uh, while he was running from his brother Esau. Esau wanted to kill Jacob because Jacob had conspired with his mother to rob Esau of not only his inheritance, but of his blessing as well. So Esau's upset. So uh, while he's running, Jacob has a dream at a place called Bethel, which it, he renamed this place Bethel because it means house of God. And in, in the dream, Jacob saw a ladder into heaven, angels going up and down. The, and the whole incident catalyzed a change in Jacob, which would be fully realized a little bit later on in Jacob's story, but things began to change inside Jacob, his attitude towards his father in heaven, and maybe even his attitude towards people around him. So he, that, that whole change would be fully realized when he wrestles with the angel of God. We actually find out he wrestles with God himself. But as far as today's passage is concerned, we're kind of in the middle of that story. Jacob has yet to have that struggle with God, and he's just arrived at Haran, where his uncle Laban lives. So there in Haran, we're going to see Jacob's two loves. We're going to see Jacob's love for 
Rachel, and we'll see Jacob's love for Leah. So let me set the scene. Jacob's near the well at Haran. The shepherds of the town have gathered, uh, but the well is covered by a huge stone. And they're waiting for all the shepherds to get there so that they can move the stone and feed their sheep. Uh, and so Jacob arrives at that moment, and he kind of looks around. And he says, how come nobody's feeding their sheep while well, we're waiting to move the stone? And then somebody says, here comes Rachel. And there, there, there might even have been a little bit of a tone to their voice. Here comes Rachel. You all know this is Rachel. Okay? So this is a case of love at first sight. We're talking about Jacob's love for Rachel here. Look what happens in Genesis 29.9. While he was still speaking with them, the shepherds, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, Jacob is so moved by the sight of Rachel that he says, Step aside, boys. I'm moving the rock. And, and so he's hoping Rachel's watching, right? He's hoping that Rachel's getting an eyeful of how strong he is, okay? And so he moves the rocks and, and, and begins feeding the sheep. And then in verse 11 it says, Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Now, we don't want to go too far with this kissing idea. Uh, this is a Mideastern type kiss. While Kelly and I were over in Europe, you found out how you kiss people in a greeting. You grab them by the shoulders, you kiss on one cheek. If you really like them, you kiss on the next cheek. And if you really like them, you give them three kisses. So this is a, this is a platonic kiss. But it's clear that Jacob is absolutely smitten by Rachel. Rachel's a beautiful woman. She's described as beautiful in form and appearance. And she's got Jacob's attention. So much so that Jacob agrees to work with Laban for seven years in order to earn the hand of Rachel. Now Rachel has a sister, Leah. Leah is described as having weak eyes. Now, we don't really know what that means. There's a lot of conjecture. We don't really know. We're not quite sure what the phrase means. And we can make some assumptions. But what we do know is this. Leah, Leah's a wounded soul. She's bleeding. She's always compared to her beautiful younger sister and coming up short. And things just when it looks like things might turn around for her, they actually get worse. Genesis 29, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. He's making goo-goo eyes for seven years. I hardly wait until we get married. But Laban pulls a fast one on Jacob. In the dark of the night, he sends to Jacob in, in Leah. He sends Leah. He, Jacob can't see who it is. When Jacob wakes up in the morning, he's married not to Rachel, but to Leah. Oh yeah, he's deceived. Oh yeah, but the marriage has been consummated. You can't go back on it. 
Jacob's so disappointed that he agrees with Laban to work another seven years so that he can marry Rachel. Now you have to understand, all of this happens while Leah watches, while she's following it. Her new husband, her groom, the one that would turn her life around, doesn't want her. He wants her younger sister. Seven years pass. And in Genesis 29.30, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Well, this should be Jacob's dream. Everything should be just great now. He's got the woman he's worked 14 years for. But Rachel, Rachel has trouble conceiving. And meanwhile, Leah's having babies left and right. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But we see Rachel's jealousy arrive over Leah when she gets into an argument with, with Jacob. So in Genesis 30, verse 1, when Rachel saw that she, Leah, bore Jacob that she, Rachel, bore Jacob no children. She envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. You see a little bit of Leah here. We see a whole lot of Rachel, right? And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel in verse 2. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So this idyllic life that Jacob is going to have with Rachel may not be exactly everything that he expected it to be. Rachel has a tendency to exaggerate. Oh, if I don't have a baby, I'm going to die. Not only that, but she has a tendency to blame her problems on others. Jacob, do something. And she seems to be jealous. You would think she didn't have much to be jealous for. But there it is. Eventually, she gives her servant named Bilhah to Jacob. Now, now you know, we, we look at that and we, we think that's a little unusual. Back in that culture, it was far more shameful to not have children. And it was acceptable to bring a servant or a concubine in to have children for you. Uh, the goal was not to necessarily just have children, but is to maintain the lineage. So, you know, if Rachel couldn't have children, she could bring a servant in, uh, and the, the servant would be with Jacob, and the baby they would have would then become Je Rachel's. This was all acceptable in that culture. And Bilhah bears Dan. And Dan's name means to be judged. And what Rachel is thinking is that God has judged me and found me worthy of having a child. So Bilhah conceives again and has Naphtali. And Rachel says that the name means I have wrestled with my sister and prevailed, showing that what's important to Rachel is not, is not maintaining the bloodline, it's not making Jacob happy, it's not about their clan, about their marriage and all those other things, but it's about getting one up on her sister, Leah. Learning a lot about Rachel here. As I said last week, this is a dysfunctional family. 
just like mine and probably just like yours. So eventually God blesses Rachel with two sons. He opens her womb. They are Joseph and Benjamin. And not so surprisingly, they become Jacob's favorite sons. Jacob's love for Rachel was consuming. The man spent 14 years working to get her as a bride. You might say he was obsessed with Rachel, as what we would call it today. Meanwhile, things have been going on with Leah. Let's take a look at Jacob's love for Leah. Poor Leah. She seems desperate for some affection from Jacob. And you need to look at her situation. Laban doesn't want her. This is a woman whose father had to swindle a relative to get her out of the house. And on the morning after her wedding, the, 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 the morning that should have been the greatest morning in her life, she finds out that her husband doesn't want her either. She's not the prize. She doesn't give up. She's determined to win Jacob's love. We see how committed she is when she begins to bear children long before Rachel does and how she names them. And, and th th this is what makes her sister so jealous that Leah's got these children and she doesn't. So Leah hopes to accomplish something with the children. Genesis 29, 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, oh my, you know, this is the same word we see in Deuteronomy chapter 21. It, it doesn't mean that they despised Leah. Maybe she could have coped with that. What it means is that Leah was unloved. There were no feelings for Leah. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Verse 32. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, which literally means, see, look, a son. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, the Lord has looked upon my misery, for now my husband will love me. Now, we see our, our first peek at Leah's heart here. She's a godly woman. She gives glory to God for her baby. But she's unloved. And she wants to show the world that she's worth something. That she's worthy of some attention, some affection, some love. And she says, look, I have a son. God has blessed me with a son. For once in her life, she has something that her younger sister doesn't have. Maybe she'll get recognition. Maybe she'll get some attention. Maybe, just maybe now, my husband will love me. Verse 33. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated. Well, Reuben didn't do the trick. Jacob hasn't come around. Leah's still unloved. But Rachel's still barren. God blesses Leah again. And she says, He, God, has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Now in Hebrew, the name Simeon sounds a lot like 
He heard. He heard. She's talking about God. It's almost as if Lee is saying, if no one else is listening, God is. God has heard my prayer. Maybe if she makes that the baby's name, maybe if we call the baby, God has heard my prayer, she can say to all the people around her, God is listening to me, people. How come you're not? God hears. Do you hear? Then they'll see. Then, then Jacob's got to love her. Verse 34, again, she conceived. Bore a son. And said, now, this time, my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. It's a sad phrase. It's literally, maybe, this time, my husband will be attached to me. It means perhaps my husband will have a relationship with me. Perhaps we'll spend time together. Perhaps we'll have dinner together. Perhaps we'll linger over dinner and talk late into the night. Perhaps my husband will have some affection for me. Will see me as something more than a penalty. Will see me as something more than second place. See me as something more than someone he has to put up to, with in order to be with the one he really loves. Maybe now Jacob will love me. Therefore, his name will be called Levi, which sounds like the Hebrew word for attached. You know, we might say today she wants to be attached at the hip with her husband Jacob. None of these babies produce the result that Leah is looking for. If you apply a timeline to all this, I mean, it's all condensed here in a few verses, but this goes on for years. She suffers this pain of rejection for years. She's living with a man who doesn't love her, but certainly doesn't mind using her at the same time, right? The silver lining here is that Leah really is a godly woman. Look, look what happens next. Verse 35. And she conceived and bore a son. Now the other sons had those significant names. We had Reuben. See, a son. Everybody, hey, look. Simeon, God's listening to me, or you? <laughs> Levi, perhaps my husband will have some kind of relationship with me. You can hear Leah's desperation in every one of those names. And you can see her disappointment rising with each one of those births. But something, something changes in Leah. Some move occurs in her heart. At, at, at some point, she abandons her efforts to please Jacob she does, and, and, and we need to understand exactly the true nature of all this. Yes, she's trying to please Jacob. She's really trying to please herself. Trying to assign some kind of an identity to herself. Thinking that maybe she'll be fulfilled if Jacob will just pay some attention to her. She puts all that aside. She puts aside trying to please herself by gaining the acceptance and the approval of those around her. It, isn't that what everybody in this scenario is doing? I told you they're dysfunctional. 
They're just like us, amen? They're trying to please themselves. They're trying to fulfill themselves. All of them wanting something they don't have. Jacob wants to be fulfilled in Rachel, but she's arguing with him. Rachel wants to be fulfilled by having more children at Leah, but Leah keeps on having kids. Leah wants the affection and attention of Jacob. None of them, none of them in the scenario are getting what they want. And because they don't have what they want, they feel disappointed, unfulfilled. So Leah at some point wakes up and decides that she's going to be thankful, watch this, for what she has. She's going to be thankful for what she has rather than mourning over what she doesn't have. Look what happens when she has another son. She said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. And then she ceased bearing. Leah is finally satisfied in God. Satisfied in what He has given her, not in what He has withheld from her. And as we will see, everything changes for Leah. Now, there's no indication up to and through this point that Jacob's feelings have changed. But Leah, Leah seems to move on. She's free of the need to be loved because perhaps maybe she realizes that what she really needs is God's love, God's approval, God's affirmation. Not the love and acceptance of those around her. No longer has anything to prove. No longer devastated by Jacob or Rachel's rejections. She is now complete because of her love for God. And that surpasses her love for Jacob, it surpasses her need for affirmation from her sister Rachel, and it perhaps surpasses even the love she has for herself. There's been a struggle for Leah. It's been hard. A lot of years of struggling with it. But she emerges on the other side healthier and happier. Now Jacob, Jacob is yet to have his struggle. We heard about the end of the struggle last week. He hasn't struggled with God yet, but he's no longer the... Watch this. Jacob is no longer the king of Leah's heart. Jacob can no longer determine how Leah's day is going to go. Because Leah's highest priority is a relationship with her father in heaven. Jacob has two loves here, doesn't he? We saw this love for Rachel. Jacob was obsessed with Rachel. Keep in mind that Jason, Jacob has yet to go through his transformation. He's changing, but he's not been fully changed. That'll happen in chapter 32. We're waiting to see that occur. But we see that Jacob's love for Rachel has not really had any impact on Jacob's heart. It hasn't made him a better man. It hasn't really made him happier. I mean, he treats Leah, his wife, with total indifference. He's not honoring her in their marriage. Puts his preference for Rachel on display for everyone to see. And then, and if you read further, you find out he's going to play the favorites game with his, with his sons. 
Marrying Rachel doesn't seem to solve any of Jacob's problems. We'll soon see that he still fears his brother. He hasn't been home. He knows he swindled his father. And now, on top of all that, some of you might sympathize with that, he's struggling with his in-laws. His father-in-law is not the greatest guy in the world. Jacob fought for Rachel. But he was no happier after he got her than when he was before. As a matter of fact, being married to Rachel had some tough moments. Jacob needs to learn what Leah just learned. When Jacob woke up and found himself married to Leah, he should have accepted what God had given him. He should have been happy with what God had given him rather than disappointed in what he didn't have. In his spiritual immaturity, Jacob wanted more than what he had been given. And then we saw, we saw Jacob's love for Leah. Not going to take long to figure this one out. There isn't any. There's no love for Leah. Not yet. Not yet. But we have reason to believe that things did improve. We read on. Years later, we find out Rachel passes away, giving birth to Ben-Onai, naming her new baby with her dying breath. Jacob calls him Benjamin, son of my right hand. Might as well just say favored son. Rachel's buried in Bethlehem. Jacob moves on with Leah and his sons. Even more years later, as Jacob is dying, he calls his family together. And this is what happens in Genesis 49, verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Now Jacob's gone through this change by now, and and he's now Israel. Jacob's about to bless his sons before he dies. They're all there. All 12 of them. If you know your Bible, you know this is the beginning of the 12 tribes. This is the nation of Israel. The blessings that Jacob pronounces are revealing. And so we wonder, just before the blessings are, what kind of fruit has risen up in his family? The patriarchs of the faith. After all this deceit, after all this fighting, all this tension, all this jealousy and wounded hearts, what will happen to this next generation? They are the inheritors of the promise that came down to Abraham. Went to Isaac, went to Jacob. Now it's coming to them. So I'm going to break these blessings up by mother so that you can see it. It's not in the order it's going to be in, in your Bibles. Because I think Jacob's blessings reveal a lot about how things have gone over the years between Rachel's death and Jacob and Leah. So the first one, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, they're Dan and Naphtali. Jacob says, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Uh, I guess that's a blessing. Verse 21, Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. I guess 
that's a blessing. You remind me of a beautiful, delicate doe. I'm not sure Naphtali thought it was a blessing. Rachel's sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Now, both of these boys are favored by Jacob. In verse 27, he says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning, devouring the prey, and at evening, dividing the spoil. That's another nice one, kind of. Now, Jacob, Joseph, who is definitely Jacob's boy, and because of it, his brothers hated him, traded him off to the Egyptians. His blessing is one of the greatest ones that Jacob confers. Listen to this, verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. He might be talking about his brothers. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Clearly, Jacob thinks a lot of Joseph. I mean, after all, he's the first baby that Rachel gave him, isn't he? And we have Zilpah's babies. This is Leah's maidservant. Jacob says, raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. And Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. There's not a lot here. Gad's going to be a warrior. Asher's going to be a farmer. Then we have, then we have Leah's sons. Now, Reuben, firstborn, starts out well. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. That's pretty good. Next verse, verse 4. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Long story there. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul listen to this. Blessing in quotation marks. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willingfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. You find out Simeon gets territory within the bounds of Judah. And Levi is truly scattered. They become the Levites. They don't really have a home. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that a land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. I don't know if I would want these blessings. I don't, I, I, Jacob is dying. <laughs> Come on together, I want to bless you. And you can see him looking at each other. What did he just say? What, 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 what do you think that means? I don't know. What do you think mine means? Uh, Joseph, 
Wow. There's one left. Judah. Judah. <laughs> Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That means all the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, and his vesture is in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. An incredible blessing uttered over Judah. The one who was born when his mother decided to be thankful for what she had, rather than remorseful over what she didn't have. Judah, the first of the tribe that will eventually produce the Lion, the Savior, the Messiah. That's great for Judah. <laughs> what about Leah? What happens to Leah? We go to the end of Genesis 49. As Jacob gives his sons instructions on where to bury him. He says this, starting with, with verse 28 of Genesis 49. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessings suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I'm to be gathered by my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is the field of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, to the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, your grandfathers, great-grandfathers. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. Did you catch that? Jacob wants to be buried with Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Rebekah, and Leah. Leah is buried with the founders of the faith. It's an amazing honor. It's an indicator that Jacob finally gave Leah the recognition, the affirmation, perhaps even the love that she yearned so for in her heart. But it didn't come until Leah was content with what God gave her. When Leah got there, she became part of the bloodline of the Messiah. She became an anchor to the greatest story ever been told in the history of mankind. And now she gets the attention and the affection of the entire world until you are satisfied with God. You will never be satisfied with anything else. Until you stop trying to please yourself, you will never be pleased with what God gives you. It's the story of Leah. It's the character and nature of God revealed in this 
young girl's story that nobody seemed to love. And ultimately what we find out is that God loves her. And that's all she really needs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Oh Lord, open our eyes that we might see the boundless nature of it. Oh Lord, open our hearts that we might receive it for all that it is, Father, that we might be satisfied totally and completely in you. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. Let us consider these words from Paul that he wrote to uh, the Corinthians in his first letter. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. This passage comes after instruction uh, that Paul gave to the Corinthians regarding the Lord's Supper. The Corinthians at this time were factious. There is division within their, uh, their fellowship. And Paul described what was happening as they approached the supper. And that was that they would each do their own thing. And some would go hungry, some would get drunk. And he warned them against this and asked them to examine themselves. Now, today in our culture, when we hear that, we're asked in our church, we're often asked to examine ourselves at this time, and we go inward and individualistically and think about personal piety. But what Paul is saying is that this meal is a community effort. This meal is a family effort. And what we need to examine is whether there's factiousness or divisiveness amongst ourselves. That's what we're to be examining. It's not so much a moment of personal piety, which is good, but it's a moment of understanding that we are together the body of Christ. So he writes, For when anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgments on himself. This meal is for the family of God. If you are a believer and you And Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. This meal is for you. And now I would like to invite the deacons and helpers forward with a distribution. Take a cup and the bread and we'll then eat it together.
this supper is a memorial that causes us to look backwards to the incarnation of Jesus Christ and his atonement. It's also a memorial that causes us to look across the body here as we're gathered, as well as memorial of looking forward to the future and our hope in Jesus Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. In the same manner, he took the cup and he poured it out saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in memory of me. Take and drink. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, your body was broken, your blood was poured out so that we would have new life and a new covenant in you. And we thank you and adore you, Lord. Father, we surrender our lives to be joined with you in your body in this body of Christ as expressed here, Lord. We bless you and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close our service by standing and reading from uh, Ephesians for a benediction. Reading from Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Click on the like button below, that little thumbs up icon. If you're listening on Sermon Audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd be blessed by that. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter at WBFVA. And we're also on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at WBFVA.org. Just click on Giving and follow the links from there you'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in historic downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.